In the latter part of the 1920s, the yellow fever epidemic was raging across the world, um, a world that had just come through World War I where so many had died from the flu. The, the challenge that was facing the world at the time, what can be done with this disease that, that is taking so many innocent lives, people who are uh, helpless to overcome this thing that's befallen everybody on the earth, it seemed. In West Africa, there was a village where people, while they seemed to get sick from the yellow fever, weren't dying. They were recovering, and so the Rockefeller Foundation sent a group to this village, and in the village, there was a man who had just recently recovered by the name of Asabi. Asabi was perfectly healthy and well, completely unheard of with yellow fever. From him, they they took some blood, the Rockefeller Foundation did, and they began a process All the vaccine manufactured since 1927 by the Rockefeller Foundation and later the government and other agencies around the world derives the original strain of virus obtained from this humble native by the name of Asabi, carried down to the present day from one laboratory to another through repeated cultures and by enormous multiplication. It has offered immunity to yellow fever to millions upon millions and millions of people through the creative imagination of science and the blood of one man in West Africa, the entire human race has been made immune to the ravages of yellow fever. Why did Jesus have to die? This question is asked every time we come to this season, from Good Friday to Easter, why did he have to die? What is the need for God to come and become man and to die? What's the point? Why is this necessary? The death of Jesus, you see, changed everything. It's because of the blood of Jesus that every single human being who hears that message and calls upon the name of Jesus Christ can be saved. That's a game changer. Instead of having to die in sin, because of Jesus we can live. But why death? What was the point? This morning what we want to do is we want to take a look at what atonement is. Um, Guys? Okay, I'll do it. Here we go. Here we go. Atonement is, is the name for what Jesus did. Atonement is actually a Saxon word, and we'll start with the word and we'll start to look at what it means and where it came from. It's the act of bringing man and God together. This is what the Greek and the Hebrew words mean. In other words, there's two distant parties. To, to bring them together and to make them one again, that's what atonement means. And so in, in the Saxon language, atonement is that word. Now, it's easy for us to remember, right? At one meant. At one meant. Instead of being different and, and disparate and, and apart, this is going to bring people together. It's the act of sacrifice, which restores fractured relationships between two parties under a contract or in a covenant. So let's talk about covenant really quickly. All of the Old Testament and the New is based upon a covenant, a promise, a contract between two. And the term for that in Scripture is a Susarian covenant. And what that means, it's taken from from the Assyrian way, where the king would make a deal with a vassal. He would make a deal with somebody who's not in power in order, if you do this for me, I will do this for you. It's an agreement, a contract, a covenant. Anybody ever been in a contract of any sort? If you have a loan, if you have a mortgage, if you've bought a car on a loan, if you have a credit card, which you shouldn't, but if you do, what happens here is that, remember, slave to the lender, 
what happens is that you make an agreement. If you do this, they will do this for you. The covenant that God made with mankind was, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will heal their land, I will restore them. This is an example, if, then. So where do we see these first in, in Scripture? Well, we see it in the very beginning in the garden. Just as sin enters the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. In the Garden of Eden, God made Adam and he made Eve and he put them in an absolutely perfect environment. And in this environment, he said, you may eat of all of the trees of the garden. It's all here for you. Listen, there's no death. There's no suffering. You don't have to work. Everything here is for you. You are here to enjoy what has been given to you. You can be creative with it. You can multiply. You can enjoy all that's here. It's perfect. It's very good. However, do not eat of that tree. All the trees here, but not that one. If you eat of that one, you will surely die. What's death? Death is what you don't want. It's the end of all the good. Okay. All the trees but that one. Yeah. Huh. So where did they start looking? That's a cool looking tree. Kind of, you know, nice. I like that tree. That's neat for you. Those are cool. Look at that tree. Though. And what did Adam and Eve did? They, they did the one thing God told them not to do. They broke the covenant. And if you then, if you eat of it, you shall surely die. By eating of the tree, they entered into sin, rebellion against God and God's requirement, God's law. And through their sin and that tree, every single person who comes into life on earth is born under that curse of sin. And, and, and immediately, here's what we want to say. But I'm a really good person. I didn't eat of that tree. I've never even seen that tree, Right? Why should I be under that curse? Why do I need atonement? And, and if I'm a pretty good person, why do I need that? But Scripture is very plain, and it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin is an offense against God. Anything you and I do, which is a violation of God's way of doing things, you see, that's sin. Would anybody be so bold as to say, I've never sinned? If, 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 Bible, if Bible teaching and God's Word be truth... And all the way through here, we hear how God would have us live, that our minds be filled with the things of God, that we, are, uh, we, we study those things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely, excellent, admirable, praiseworthy. We're full of peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. We never tell a lie. We always love other people more than ourselves. If that's genuinely you and you have never sinned, then you can tune me out. But the fact of the matter is every single person who's ever walked the earth has sinned. So exactly who is that good person? Who doesn't need the atoning sacrifice of Jesus? All of us do. You see, sin has a cost. And God did this. He established the atonement and sacrificial system for the ancient Israelites so that people could recognize sin and do something that would help them understand the price of sin, internalize what sin means and what it costs, and make things right with God through this thing called atonement. And for the ancient Israelites, that was an animal sacrifice. You're confronted with the consequences of sin. And it's why they had the animal sacrificial system. So um, here were the instructions. The person is to lay their hand on the head of the offering so it can be accepted on his behalf and to make atonement for them. The sacrifice of grains and, and possessions would cost you something. And it was a way of saying... Sin has a price, 
My rebellion has a price. It costs something. It breaks the relationship between me and God. Something that is precious to him has been rent. This relationship that was perfect has been taken apart. And when, when we sacrifice, when they sacrifice those animals, they would see an innocent little lamb dying because of what they had done. Do you feel that pain? Do you feel the, ah, the lamb didn't do anything. The lamb is innocent. And God is saying, that's the price of sin. Sin hurts. It breaks the relationship between me, the creator, and you, the created thing. I loved you so much. I made you a perfect world and asked you to live this way. And when you sin, you violate that relationship between you and me. But here's what I'll do. If you will offer these sacrifices, which, by the way, God doesn't need the sacrifice. It's for you to his Old Testament. People say, this is for you to do so you understand sin has a cost. And if you can appreciate the cost, you can appreciate the seriousness of sin and the extent of my love for you, that I'm willing to look past it to restore that relationship. The beauty is this. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many are made righteous. In other words, you are made right through Christ. Jesus never sinned. And like that innocent lamb who never did anything wrong, his blood was shed for you and I, so that no longer is atonement made through the sacrifices, or hear me, or through your good works, or through your repetition of phrases, or your trying to give enough money to the church or to the needy, or trying to have enough good works to outweigh the bad. No, 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 no. No more is that the path to being at peace with God. Now the path to peace with God is through Jesus Christ. He came and died as the ultimate sacrifice, the final atonement, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. As Peter was writing these words, imagine Jesus' closest leader, Peter, who had denied him and failed, who had stood up for him and failed, who had walked on water and failed, and later in his life would ultimately give his life because he believed so strongly that this is truth. Peter wrote these things. Christ suffered for all, once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so you could be brought to God. That's the atonement. That's what changes things. No longer are you saved because of sacrifices you make, deeds you do, things you give up, but because the blood of Jesus was shed, that atoning sacrifice, you can be at peace with God. How valuable you must be that Jesus is willing to do that. How incredibly special your soul, your life, your existence is that the God of heaven is willing to come and the word become flesh and dwell among us and understand what it is to be human and give his life as a sacrifice for you, a perfect sacrifice, so that no longer would you have to worry about whether or not you can be at peace with God, whether or not you're saved. God valued, so, valued you so much that he went to those lengths 
to make the path to salvation plain to you. That changes absolutely everything in human history. And just as the blood of, of that, that man in, in Africa who had given some of his blood so that a vaccine could be made good for all, Asabi being his name, the blood of Jesus given for you and I and for everyone who would ever call upon the name of him, call him Lord, make him Lord, and be, have him become their Savior, that blood extends to you too. That changes all of human history. And it begs the question, what are you going to do about it? Now that you hear it, now that you know, now that you've been reminded, what are you going to do with that message? Does it change the way you think about sin? Does it change the way you think about this idea that's crept into your mind and your life that if I just do a good enough works and live a good enough life that somehow it'll impress God and equate to salvation? Or do you understand that you can't do enough good? It all comes down to accepting the sacrifice of Jesus and living like that's what matters. It changes not only your eternity. It changes your value system and your everyday behavior. It's the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ that changes absolutely everything. Now, if you think about it, the atoning death of Jesus is... It's remarkable in itself and that he came and he, he was willing to pay that sacrifice for you and me. But what, what sense would it make if he just died? He just stayed in a grave. I mean, think about it. Every other prophet and religious leader and, and revolutionary in history has died. They've gone into a grave and they've stayed there. You can go see the grave of, of any number of those people. But the reality is that Jesus didn't stay in a grave. Because, see, if he had stayed in a grave, he would just be human being. But the fact is Jesus came out of the grave and is alive. This was the astonishing thing to so many people at the time. He's alive. He's alive. He's out of the grave. I knew it. I knew he was God. It's legit. It's not just a story. It's real. He had told his apostles, his disciples, so many times, the Son of Man will suffer and die. He'll be buried. On the third day, he will rise again. And they kept thinking, what are you talking about? What, what are you talking about? Tear this temple down. I'll, I'll rebuild it in three days. I don't get it. But when it happened, they realized, oh, that's what he meant. Imagine the excitement. Imagine the astonishment, the amazement that filled Jerusalem in the Middle East when that message came. It's the, it's the excitement that created the boldness that they took with them and spread the word of Jesus Christ to every corner of the globe. Within just two generations of that happening in Jesus' day, the entirety of the known world at that time had missionaries who had gone and were telling the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, that very same effort continues. Missionaries go and they teach and they share the love of Jesus Christ with people around the world so everybody has an opportunity to hear the gospel and make a decision for or against Jesus. But let's talk about that incredible thing that really changes everything, resurrection. Resurrection simply means made live again, made alive again. The act of being raised from the dead used in the Bible has three different meanings, though, and I think this is important for us to think about because a lot of times when we hear resurrection, we just think that's a Jesus thing. He did that. But listen, through Scripture, there are many references of people becoming alive again. There are several in the New Testament that are amazing. Three you may already know of. Of course, you hear of Jairus' daughter. You hear of Lazarus. 
But how about, how about Eutychus? This is my favorite as a preacher. You guys remember who Eutychus is? Yeah? No? This is great. Paul is preaching. And he's preaching and he's preaching and he's preaching. And it goes on for hours and hours. Like it should, right? We'll vote on that later. And as Paul is, is preaching and preaching, this guy Eutychus is sitting in the window on the third floor here in, in this complex. And then he's, and he's listening to, to Paul teach and teach and teach. And, you know, he was a great, great voice. And Eutychus got comfortable, you know, and he started to fall asleep like many of you. And, and, and he fell out of the window and he falls down and whack, he hits the concrete below and he dies. And Paul goes outside and raises the guy from the dead. And then he went back inside and kept preaching. And so the message is obvious, preach for hours. And if somebody has a problem with it, just heal them and then they'll keep preaching. So it's going to be great. So resurrection in the Bible, first of all, was that amazing thing that was done by Jesus and his apostles where the dead would be raised back to life to the awe of everybody around, the amazement of everybody around. The second one is the resurrection that each and every one of us is going to experience. Raise your hand. Everybody put your hands up. All of you, come on, don't, nobody's too cool for this. If your hand is up, you will experience resurrection. Jamie will not because her hand is not up. But everybody else will experience resurrection because you, as a person with a soul, one day, though you will die, you will experience the resurrection. And that's a resurrection at the end of time where you will stand in judgment or reward. Listen, Christians, Christians, when you leave life on earth, you go into the presence of God in heaven, and a day is going to come where before a Bema seat judgment, you are going to sit, stand in front of Jesus, and you're going to be able to say, I knew, I knew it. And he's going to say, look at all the things that you did that were true and noble and right and pure and admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Look at what you did. You did these things in my name, and look at the impact that it had across history. Well done. Done, servant. Well done, friend. Enter into joy today. The earth is perfected for you. Just like Eden, we're going to do it again. But now you understand what sin does, and you'd never let it happen again. Well done. That's the judgment for those who are in Christ, and you were raised up for that. Isn't that astonishing? That's a game changer, friends. But there's another side to that coin. And it hurts to go to, but we have to go there. And listen, the other side of that coin is those who die apart from Jesus Christ. When they're resurrected, they stand before what's known as the great white throne. You don't want to be at the great white throne judgment. Because there, deeds are burned up. In other words, people are going to stand before and he's going to go, you heard the truth. It was around you in nature. The missionaries came and told you. Your forefathers heard it and rejected it. Truth was available and you rejected it. You never called on the name of Jesus. Or more concerning and more damning in our culture today are those people who are culturally adept religiously skilled imposters who never knew Jesus at all. They just played church and religion really good. They went to church all those years. They even put some stuff in the offering bags. They prayed magic prayers and, and carried magic beads around, and they thought they were good with the big guy in the sky. You know, they called themselves Christian every once in a while, unless it wasn't popular, of course. 
And at the workplace, every once in a while, they, you know, if they needed a promotion, they might even pray a little bit. They got in trouble, they might pray here and there. When they saw a loved one, they went to their funeral and bowed their head and prayed maybe even then. But they never really surrendered heart and life to Jesus. That, that, you know, that's just hokey stuff. Or maybe it's not really real. I'll just hedge my bets here. Or maybe one day I'll get right with the guy in the sky. But for right now, I've got a life to live, you know, kids and all. And so they played games. They put it off, didn't take it seriously. And death came. And they're going to stand before a God who's going to go, it wasn't a game. I'm not a punk to be fooled. Did you make a decision for me or not? No. Depart from me into eternal shame and separation and anguish and soul anguish because I was there and you rejected me. Now, that really serious message is something we need to hear and think about on Easter because Jesus' resurrection is the third type of resurrection we see in Scripture. And that's the fact that Jesus became flesh, dwelt among us. They killed him. He gave his life as that atonement for us. He went into the grave, and on that third morning, on that Sunday morning that we celebrate today, our Savior, our Lord and friend, walked out of that grave and said, I've defeated death, I've defeated hell, I've defeated everything life and all the negatives of sin can throw at it, and I've made the atoning sacrifice so that all who call upon the name of me, the Lord, can be saved. Jesus said this, or John said this in reference to uh, uh, what Jesus had, had stated there. It said, do not be amazed. A time is coming when all who are in graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of the condemned. You see, that empty grave is what we celebrate. It's the game changer. It's what makes atonement matter. If Jesus just died as a martyr... He wouldn't be God. You understand? The resurrection changes that. You can't go pray to St. John to receive salvation because John is a person just like you and me. You can't pray to Mary for salvation. She was a person just like you and me. A great lady, to be sure, but not divine. You can't pray to Peter. You can't pray to James. You can't pray to any of the saints through the ages. Only Jesus is the one who made the atoning sacrifice, went into the grave, and came out of that grave for you and I. Listen, Lazarus died later on. Jairus' daughter died later on. Even Eutychus, who fell from the window, eventually died a second time. But Jesus is alive today, having never tasted permanent death. He died, paid a price, and was raised again. That resurrection is the game changer that all of us can rest our faith on. Now, Jesus, I've said, is not some common spiritual movement leader. He was God, is God, is very much alive today. And each one of us have the ability to be able to call on His name and receive salvation knowing that when our resurrection comes, and it will, because Scripture says so, that you will be raised into new life and raised into a Bema judgment where the beauty of heaven is experienced with excitement and with anticipation and the afterlife is something we look forward to. All have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Unless Jesus' return happens in your lifetime, all of us are going to die, right? That's going to come. Now, dying and death, no worries. For Christians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But listen, the wages of sin brought death into the world so that we have to go through that process. We have to go through that door. All of us will. And when we do, on the other side of that door is bliss, is happiness, is complete understanding, is completeness, is being reunited with those we've loved who've died in Christ. And the removal of our mind of all things that are negative, sad, disappointing, all the letdowns, all the things that are unperfect are simply gone because in the presence of God, there's nothing but good. And that's the future for us. But right now, we live in a world where sin exists. And because of that, we must come under the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and we must place our faith in his resurrection. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Perish isn't talking about dying. It's talking about the souls dying. Who wants their soul to die and spend eternity separated from all that is good and lovely and godly? No, we want to be in the presence of God. And that's why the call is to you to each and every person. See, that's the big change. You don't have to live the Jewish law in order to be at peace with God. You accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. In fact, if we confess with our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is the effect of sin. When you sin, you're no longer righteous with God. Got it? Right. If you are without sin and totally righteous, you don't need to hear any of these verses. But because that person is not in the sound of my voice, it applies to you. Okay, All have sinned. But if you can confess those, repent from those, turn from sin, turn to Christ, He forgives and gives you the opportunity to look forward to a resurrection where you're going to be reunited with Him and spend eternity with Him in that bliss that He designed us for. I talked to you a little while ago about a covenant. And I told you that a covenant looks like this. If, then. If the one in charge who makes the deal, he says, if you will do this, then I will do this for you. If you repent and confess, then you are forgiven and cleansed. That's the promise that the atoner and the resurrected Jesus can make with you. It's a deal you cannot make on your own. You can't do it. He is in the position of authority. You are in the position of needing salvation. That's the deal that God is willing to make with you. Confess. Repent. You know what repent means? It means turn 180 degrees away from the direction you were going and go in the other one in the name of Jesus. It means if this is the lifestyle you've been living in, this is the inborn, indwelling sin that just lays on you as a person who's born into a fallen world, when you turn your heart and your eyes to Jesus, you make him Lord of your life. You turn your back on that sin and you go the other way towards Jesus. That's repentance. And believe, believe me, whatever that sin is, through Jesus, you have the ability, the power, and the freedom to be able to turn your back on it and go the other direction. That is the promise. If you will, then he will. Forgiven and cleansed and looking forward to your resurrection one day. You are a child of Jesus, a child of God. 
That's the big change. That's what the resurrection means. So two big words we've looked at today. We've looked at atonement and resurrection. Now, friends, I'm one of those who believes, maybe naively, that if you give smart people facts and let them make a decision, smart people have the ability to be able to make the right decision, a decision for Jesus. Now, I'm assuming a couple of things. I'm assuming that the Bible is truth. I'm assuming that Jesus really is the Son of God and that the resurrection really did happen. I'm even going to assume that you're all smart people. But I'm going to make those assumptions because I think God can be trusted. What are you going to do with it, though? What's your choice right now? Having heard truth and understood the covenant, having celebrated a resurrection and understand what atonement means, have you come to the place in your life where you have genuinely honestly surrendered heart and mind to Jesus Christ, given him the ability to be your atoning Savior. Have you made that decision in your life? Because I can think of no better day than Easter Sunday to make exactly that choice. So with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, would you join me in prayer for just a moment? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Father God, we stand before you right now or sit before you as a people who've heard that truth and are placing all of our faith and all of our eternity on that truth. That not only did you make an atoning sacrifice because you knew us and you loved us, but that by coming under that sacrifice, all of our sins can be forgiven if we just repent and confess them. Lord, that we receive eternal life in Jesus the Jesus who himself conquered death by resurrecting, being alive on that third day and being alive yet. Father God, I just pray that, that this morning, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who's not yet made that decision to follow you as Savior and Lord, that this moment would be the one where they would say, today I accept Jesus as Lord in my heart. Lord, I confess the sins to you that I have committed and I beg, God, forgive me as I turn my back on sin and now choose to follow you as Lord and Savior, coming under that atonement and celebrating in your resurrection. Jesus, come into my heart today. Be Lord, be Savior. God, for those who've already made that decision, our prayer is simple. Thank you for the blood of Jesus and what it means. Thank you for the sacrifice that brings life. And we so look forward to a day when we will be reunited with you in perfect joy and perfect peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray.